This is Citizen the Pod with your girl Kina Zantel. Get your weekly plug into today's news, politics, and culture. Join me every week as I give you the rundown on popping topics and put you on game. Get woke with me. Welcome back to Citizen the Pod. It's your host, Kina Zantel, and I have been anticipating this podcast for a week now. I am so excited. I was excited when I actually got the yes from our guest. So let me jump right into it and introduce my guests get like doper every week. I'm so excited. So this week I have assembly member, mom, warrior, public servant, community fighter, like everything I aspire to be one day. I'm like that excited. Assembly member Crystal People Stokes, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for inviting me to your podcast. I love the title of it. Thank you. Thank you. Citizen the Pod. Mm-hmm. Nice. Thanks. Thanks. You know what? I think I was inspired by the name. I was like one day watching CNN and I want to say, I think it was David Frum or Frum, I'm not sure his name, but he basically went on this rant about how we as citizens aren't doing our part to change the way government is running or how things are going in this country. So I was like, citizen, like, that's it. Like, so I kind of just ran with it, like. Voters are patriots, citizens are patriots. You know, a lot of times they like to call, you know, our, you know, men and women in the military patriots, but I feel like we all serve some type of role here. Like they put their lives on the line and that's awesome and we appreciate their service, but we also have to do our part too. Exactly. So, you know, I just. Once I heard that, I just ran with it. So thank you for liking the name. Yes, it's very nice. And thank you for accepting my request. That is, like, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so let me jump into it because I'm not sure all of my listeners are familiar with who you are. So can you give a little bit, uh, just give them a little description of, you know, what makes you... Well, as you mentioned, I am a New York State Assembly member. Mm-hmm. I represent the 141st Assembly District. I've been in that position since 2003. Prior to that, I served for nine years or so with the um, Erie County Legislator mm-hmm. as a legislator. And there I served for a few years as a majority leader of the legislature. Mm-hmm. So um, the time that I have spent uh, in the State Assembly has been... Just phenomenal. I mean, the, you can actually see the difference in Buffalo. And I won't say that it's all because of Crystal People Stokes, but mm-hmm. I will say that it is because there have been a number of people who work together right. uh, to make things happen in this community, and they have happened in a significant way. So it's been a pleasure to, to serve. Mm-hmm. And I actually kind of see it as um, almost kind of like a ministry because – as a public servant, that's exactly what you are. Mm-hmm. You, you are serving the people. And in doing so, hopefully you're engaging enough of them to want to be more involved in the electorate. Mm-hmm. So what would you say is the difference between a Erie County legislature, legislator and the assembly? Uh, not much difference. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know from our civic lessons way back in elementary mm-hmm. school, there are three <laughs> branches of government. 
Um, both of those are the legislative branch. Mm-hmm. One happens to be in the county of Erie, and the other happens to be in the state of New York. But we also have legislative uh, members who are with the city of Buffalo. They're called common council members. Right. And we have legislators at the federal level. They're called uh, congressmen and, and senators. Mm-hmm. So that's the legislative branch of government. And it's, it's not a lot different except that you serve in a larger body because New York State is so much larger mm-hmm. uh, than the county of Erie. Uh, there are 150 assembly members. Wow. That you have to share power with. You have, Well, it's not like you share power. Mm-hmm. If you um, really want to get something done, you have to build a majority. Mm-hmm. And that's how you do it. Right. That's, that's about building relationships. Uh, clearly, without a doubt, if you think about um, the fact that we are in representative government, because it's called that because you're the one closer to the people at state level. Right. Um, it's based on the number of people who live in an area. So since we are from western New York, or I am from Buffalo, um, there are a lot less representatives from Buffalo than there are from, say, Brooklyn right. or the Bronx. I mm-hmm. mean, there's more representatives from Brooklyn alone than there is from most of western New York, just because there are more people who live there, so they need more representation. Mm-hmm. So in order to be successful in this business, you have to develop relationships with people. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I do spend a, a, quite a bit of time in New York City because that's where my colleagues are, mm-hmm. uh, particularly the ones who, you know, share life experiences that I had, mm-hmm. uh, no matter whether we live in a different place or not. As, you know, people of color, as, as African-Americans, we do share some of the same experiences. And so it's important that you build those relationships so that when it is time for something to happen that benefits Western New York, you can count on people from Brooklyn to be supportive of you. Right, right. Okay, okay. So you mentioned coalition building and the conversations most folks are having about our federal representation is that they're not really working together at all. It just seems really fractured or very partisan. Do you think that that is the same at the state level, especially here in New York? Um, I I think it's it's not exactly the same. It's not as harsh Mm -hmm. uh, as it is at the um, federal level. But um, in the state of New York, the assembly has been pretty much democratic. Okay. Um, I would say, you know, for like the last 40 years or so. Wow, okay. Uh, In fact, you know, there are 106 Democrats, and the remainder are Republicans, and the body is 150. Okay. Uh, and the Senate is, is a little different. Uh, the, the Senate tends to be controlled by Republicans. And so in order for us to get through a budget process every year, we're going to have to tr- figure out how to make things happen. Right. Otherwise, you don't get a budget done. Uh, and I guess there were a number of years when that didn't happen in the state of New York. And the electorate was not happy about that because mm-hmm. that is one of our jobs that we, sh- we have to get done. So you cannot allow, I would say, uh, personal politics to get in the way of a principal position you should take in order to move things forward. And so I, I think that uh, we do that better in New York State than they do um, at the federal level. Although, you know, I really do think we could do that better as well because at the end of the day, um, the person who, you know, needs to figure out how to have a good quality of life wherever they live in the state, they shouldn't really care whether you're Democrat or Republican. They should care that you're delivering a service that's valuable to them and their families. Right, right. So those are such good questions. Like, I told you guys that this was going to be a good episode. Um, and those are awesome answers, too. So what motivated you to run for office? I think um, mostly because I actually was a community organizer with an organization called Citizen Action of New York. 
And prior to being an organizer with Citizen Action, I actually worked for St. Augustine's. I worked for the Buffalo Urban League Mm -hmm. and mostly around youth education, youth counseling type programs. And generally with those sort of um, direct service businesses, people come in, they need a service, you give it to them, they leave. They didn't really have to do anything to get it. They just had to come. Right. But with direct action, uh, people have an issue, then we need to find other people who have the same issue, and people have to do something to get a result out of that. It empowers people to take some level of control over what it is that's causing them problems. So I worked in public housing organizing. Mm-hmm. I worked on um, making um, health care the number one issue in the 1992 presidential elections. Mm-hmm. I worked on lead poisoning prevention. In fact, the group that we were able to organize for lead poisoning prevention was so into the work that they had to do with families of children who had lead poisoning, came up with an idea that it makes sense for the state to keep records. Where do the children live who have lead poisoning? So we were able to go to then my predecessor, Arthur O'Eve, mm-hmm. and Senator Del Volker with legislation to say this needs to happen. The state needs to keep a record of this. There's no way they can keep up with it and figure out where the resources should go if they're not keeping records. Well, that became a law without even being a legislator. Mm-hmm. So, and the people decided that because right. this is what we worked on. And so it's those kind of issues that, you know, actually I worked on preventing a medical waste center at ECMC, mm. which I live down the street from, and most people in my community did not want medical waste burnt right. in their neighborhood. Right. And so it's those kind of issues that um, really kind of let me understand when a position became available at the county level mm-hmm. that, you know, well, if these guys could do their job and and so I can probably do that too. Right. And so there was an opening, I decided to go for it, and um, I was successful. By the way, I only won by 25 votes. Oh, it's still a win. It's still a win. It's still a win, okay. You only need one more. Right, only need one, okay. Um, we've seen a surge in grassroots organizers running for office. So we've seen Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez down in New York, um, we've seen Jumani Williams run for lieutenant governor in New York. Do you think this is a good tide? Because, you know, there have been a lot of folks that are saying the Democratic Party is fractured. And, you know, they're, they don't know how that's going to translate in 2020. Because at the end of the day, everyone's looking at what's going to happen in the, in the White House for 2020. Mm-hmm. Do you see that as a good tide? Is Are they bringing strength to the party? What are your thoughts there? I, I think uh, two things. One, the Democratic Party has always been fractured. Mm. Why is that? Because it's the big tent party. Everybody right. is in that party. Mm-hmm. Everybody is in it. Uh, every ethnicity, every gender, every income strata, everybody is in. So you got a lot of different issues, and everybody is trying to jockey for where their space is. This can mm-hmm. go back to... The Democratic National Convention in Chicago years ago, there was literally a riot. Right. Um, so this, it's always been a bit of a fractured party, but that's because you have so many ideas in it. Mm-hmm. Unlike the Republican Party, you only got a one or two ideas. Right. And they all tend to be white men, maybe a few women here mm-hmm. and there, and maybe a couple even African Americans here and there. But generally, they you know they walk one lane. That that's it. Mm-hmm. And so I I um I don't think it's a bad idea to have more people who want to have opinion on what happens in the Democratic Party. In fact, I think it's a great idea. Mm. The more, the merrier. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to winning elections, do you think the strategy, and I don't even think this is strategy, I think this is just, this is ideology when it comes to Republicans, because they walk 
all of them walk in the same direction in a straight line. Do you think it makes it easier to message, to get their message across to voters? Yes, because it's all the same. <laughs> right. It's all the same. It's mm-hmm. not really different. Uh, cut taxes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, basically my research on the history of why they want to cut taxes is because they don't really want to provide the services that people need. No, they don't. So if, if they cut taxes, then there's not enough resources to provide the kind of services that people need in their life. If you look at particularly the state of New York's constitution, the only reason we're here is to provide people with the service that they need. Right. And so to suggest that we need to just keep reducing the cost of government so that we don't provide people what they need is, is not a good call, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, do I think that we should just collect people's money that we don't need? No, I think we should collect it to make sure that we can provide for education, provide for health care, provide for social services, provide for people's health care, mm-hmm. and, you know, do the things that in, impact people's quality of life. Right. And so that's where I think how I end up kind of staying at the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. I have been a Republican before. Really? Yes, I was. As a matter of fact, my mother, my entire life was a Republican. Okay. My father was always Democrat. My mother was always Republican. I've been an independent before. But, in fact, when you understand how the electorate works, when I realized that I couldn't vote for Jesse Jackson <laughs> right. when he ran in the primary because yeah. I was independent, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, i got to go back to the Democratic Party. Right. Because that's where people are running who share the same principles that mm-hmm. I do. Even if it's not Jesse Jackson, it's still people who share the same principles. So um, I think people need to, you know, to, to weigh that out. Mm-hmm. What's, what's important to you? Do you want to vote in every election? Because if you do, you don't want to be a Republican in the city of Buffalo because they don't have primaries. They, they definitely don't. They don't have primaries. Mm-hmm. They have a general, but they don't have primaries. But if you're a Democrat, you will need to vote in primaries in the city of Buffalo because that's when Democrats compete against each other, which they should have that opportunity to do. Mm-hmm. And one of them comes out, and whoever that is gets to challenge the Republican, if there is one. If there is one. So have you seen a change in the political climate from now? It has, do you see a difference between when you first started and now? I see a major difference. For the city of Buffalo, I see a good difference because I, I, I see what used to be the county executive didn't get along with the mayor. The mayor didn't get along with the county executive. The Buffalo News loved to keep it on the front page of the mm-hmm. paper. The council members were bickering with each other. Mm. The, you know, the council president was bickering with the mayor. So there was always this bickering, and so nothing happened. Mm. Uh, but at some point, um, things changed. Right. And people started to actually work together. And as a result of that, you see a difference in Buffalo. Mm. But at the national level, I, I see it's, 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 it's horrible. <laughs> I mean, I think we, we're losing civility. Right. No one knows knows how to treat people people i mean we have a guy who's president who has broken more laws and more rules than uh your average person who is literally doesn't even have a place to live right but he could still be president so i I think that we we're losing in that aspect Mm -hmm. we need to you know become more civil we need to remember you know that as you know people we should treat people like we want to be treated Mm -hmm. not not how they treat us Right. How we want to be treated. And if we could get more towards that, I think we'd have a much better outcome. I'm encouraged by some of the people who are as senators at the national level. Mm-hmm. I'm encouraged by some of the races that are being run around the country that Democratic and particularly African-American women and some men are winning. Mm-hmm. I'm encouraged by that. But the uh, fact of the matter is, is that we have got to get back to being a more civil society. Right. Right. Wow. Yeah. It's. 
every day, I think the majority of us are just like shocked to see what's happening. I mean, there's a new thing every day. There's a new thing every day. (laughs) There's a new, there's just, I mean, right now we're dealing with Kavanaugh and his Supreme Court nomination. We're dealing with the president possibly being laughed at. At the UN yesterday, Possibly. No, he was laughed at. <laughs> the spin, right? I'm just—I was trying to be. I, I, I watched it. I listened. They literally cackled <laughs> at what he was saying. Right. I mean, he—he he praised himself. Like, I, there has never been an American administration to do more. And then on the, you know, on the world stage, they're like, "Well, we're not even working with America the way we used to. So how can you make that statement?" So. Yeah, he got because it's at. all about him. Yes, it is. It's all about him. We, uh, you know, I'm in earnest prayer for our country because mm-hmm. I, I really do see the total demise of democracy under mm. this man. Right. He wants to be this to be a totalitarian government yes, where nobody does. does or says anything unless he says it's okay. Right. Yeah. And that's not the democracy that the people I know fought in wars for. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, you know, people want to say, you know. You should always honor the flag. Mm-hmm. Well, how about you should always honor the flag being democratic? Right. How, how do you support a guy that suggests to people who have a right to protest, people fought for their right for them to right. protest, that they should be kicked off the team and not paid? That, that, doesn't, even, that doesn't even jive with democracy. No, it doesn't. It doesn't jive with our Constitution. So how do people get so confused mm-hmm. that they would buy into that nonsense that he's saying, except that, you know, there's their little tidbits of racism here right that you know getting our country taking america back just we're we're not going back there right make america great again we're we're, we're not going back there as a matter of fact you cannot get free labor anymore that's not gonna happen right and so anybody that you think you can convince to do that i would wonder where their sanity is as well Mm -hmm. well i think the positive um, from his win in 2016 is just this influx of women running for office. I mean, we have the first Somali-American congressman, probably Elan Omar. Um, we have Stacey Abrams running for governor in Georgia. And I have been sounding the alarm in order for us to combat the messiness in Washington. We have to start taking state houses back. Like we need to take governor's mansions. We need to take over legislatures because the Republicans have been really crafty at finding ways to, you know, control us at the state level. What they can't get done federally because Obama and the Democrats had control, they were getting done at the state level. I mean, Roe v. Wade, we're all scared that Roe v. Wade may get overturned if we get Kavanaugh on the court. But they've also been enacting, they've been putting forth legislation in all of these states in order to restrict women's access to health care. I mean, we've seen it in Texas with Planned Parenthood. We've seen it all over the South. So we need to get state houses back. Do you see a change in the climate for women to run for office now? Oh, Absolutely. There are more women running for office than, than ever. I remember, I want to say, actually the year I run, ran for county legislature, it was the year of the women. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the year of the women again in, oh, right. in bigger numbers. Mm-hmm. 
And so I, I'm excited about that because I think women lead, you know, both with their head and their heart. Right. And sometimes men just go with their head even though it's wrong. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, particularly the, some of the guys that are in office, not all mm-hmm. men. You know, there are some really great guys. <laughs> there are. There definitely are. Uh, and I wish we could get, a, you know, another guy like President Obama was. He was, a, he was an awesome president. Mm-hmm. So I do think this is a good time for women. I, um, as you know, chair the Legislative Women's Caucus. Okay. Which is a bipartisan bicameral organization, mm-hmm. meaning both the Senate and the Assembly are in, and both Senate Republicans and Democrats are in. And so um, for me, to get more women uh, at the state level is going to be, I think, a phenomenal thing. In fact, if everybody wins who won the primaries, we'll be up to 65. Wow. That's and major. before we were, you know, just at 48. So we're, okay. we're, we're doing really good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what tip would you give women who want to run for office? I would say they should just do it. Okay. They should find something that they're passionate about, that they would like to see change, and they should actually start working on that even before they start running for office. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you have bring with you not only some experience, but some people know that you, some people who also know that you're very serious about it. Um, I think we will not go wrong if we have more women in elected office, and I don't say that just because I am the chair of the New York State uh, Legislative Women's Caucus, which mm-hmm. is a bicameral and bipartisan organization, but I say that because I think women, as the natural neutrals that God made us to be, we lead with both our head and our heart, Mm -hmm. and I think that that's critical uh, in, you know, the delivery of governmental services because, again, the only purpose for government is to serve the people. Mm. So just a quick little pivot, the Republicans in the Senate Judiciary Committee found a woman to ask questions to Dr. Ford. Shame on them. Right? Like, you just, you, they're scared of the optics. Like, they're just running away from it. Like, I remember, or every time you see footage from the Anita Hill case, you see her being able to answer really, like, just off-the-wall questions that were, could, would make anyone feel uncomfortable to answer in front of a, a panel full of white men. And they didn't, they knew the optics were bad then. Mind you, the same guys, like Grassley is still on this committee, right? And still throwing around leverage. I just, I don't understand why he's still here. But um, they're, they're just, they're just running away. Like, just accept your responsibility. Like, accept the fact that you have a party full of white men and, like, take the lumps. Like, you, you don't believe anything she's saying anyway. Half of you have already decided you're going to vote the man into the position regardless. So why run? Like, do you think that's a smart move for them to find I, I, a woman? I, I think it's pretty disrespectful to the women legislative members of the Senate, mm-hmm. who some of them happen to be Republican. Mm-hmm. Why can't they allow them? To, at least they're elected. Oh, right. And this is their role that they've been, they swore to do mm-hmm. when they took their oath of office. How do you abdicate that to someone else because there are no women who sit with you? What that should say to you is you need to get some women on that committee, right. first of all. And secondly, you know, there are women who are elected. You should use them. Mm-hmm. They're as, as smart as you are, maybe smarter. Right. And I don't think you need to go off and find an attorney from somewhere to have her question um, these young ladies who are coming before their committee. Right. I think it's pretty sad. It's a sad statement. Mm-hmm. It's funny that they called her a special assistant when she's a seasoned attorney. So they still they still made mistake. They still are making the mistake of undervaluing, you know, the attorney's 
credentials in, you know, in, in a national spotlight. Like, they're just so removed. It's just, and they show it every day. They show it well, every day. you know what, I really hope that um, this grassroots movement that has, you know, uh, bubbled up in the Democratic Party will bubble up in the Republican Party as well. Mm-hmm. So far, it has not done so. No. But um, it's my earnest prayer that it does because, you know, there, there must be some Republican young women who are in college who are sitting looking at these gentlemen um, who literally are behaving not as if they're statesmen at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, mm-hmm. they're behaving in a way that is just simply not fair uh, to women or the process. And so I, I hope that, that, that they bubble up. Mm-hmm. So do I. So do I. And not that, not that Candace Owens, though. No. Mm-mm. No, not that either. <laughs> not that girl, no. So the midterms are four weeks away, and I'm, like, so excited. You, All of y'all know how I feel about the midterm elections. That is what pushed me to do this podcast. Like, we need to get everyone registered to vote. We need to participate. Once you, you vote one time, you're going to want to vote again. I wholeheartedly believe that. So how important is this midterm election coming up? Well, for those of us who were around for the election uh, of the first African-American president ever, Barack Obama, Mm -hmm. and then see what happened two years later when we didn't go to the polls, we ought to, I mean, we we, we wide awake. Mm -hmm. There's nobody sleeping on this one who was there. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for people who were not there, perhaps millennials or younger, people who are just getting ready to vote, um, reach a history. Mm-hmm. Watch what happens if every election is important mm. and there's nothing more important to the federal office of the president than to have the proper turnout at a midterm election. Mm. Because if it turns the other way, then you essentially will be a president without support. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that that happened uh, to President Obama, although because he was such an intelligent man, right. uh, he was able to still do things even with a total um, Republican House and Senate. Um, he was still able to get some things done. In fact, they're still trying to take back some of those things now. But right. what he wasn't able to get done is that is to appoint a Supreme Court justice, which I think, again, is a travesty. Right. Um, and they're just kind of making a whole joke out of the Democratic process of doing that, uh, just with this, what they're going through now and what Mitch McConnell did when mm-hmm. Obama was in office. Right. They stole it. They stole that appointment from him. Um that was definitely well, his right. Well, I should say that they didn't really steal it from just him. They stole it from us. Right. They mm-hmm. stole it from Americans. They stole us it from all of us to have the opportunity to have a Supreme Court, which is an appointment for a lifetime, mm-hmm. to make judicious decisions about our life and how it's impacted by the judicial system. So I, I really I, I hold them accountable for that. Mm-hmm. And I think people should hold them accountable for that as well. And that's why they should make sure they show up at the midterm elections mm. and never, ever miss another one. Right. Um, it's just, I don't understand why the Republicans won't just make the decision to choose another candidate. I mean, you you have the votes in the Senate to get a, you know, a conservative-leaning judge on the court. We don't need another can- another candidate that has a you know, a questionable past with women. 
what kind of message is that sending to young girls and the young men across this country? I just don't understand why they won't just pivot to another person. I mean, how do you feel about that? Pivot? Somebody should ask them how to spell that. I don't think they're <laughs> Probably not. I don't think they could do that. Because, you know, but particularly uh, Mr. Trump, he, he just feels like I've made a decision. That's what it's got to be. Mm-hmm. And he literally is going around the country telling people exactly that. Right. Um, even though he knows what is, you know, the allegations are, he doesn't really care what happens during the process. Mm-hmm. He just wants to go on with his nominee that he appointed. Yeah, he just wants to win. He it's just not wants about to win. us. That's he it. just wants to win. Um, President Barack Obama stepped back into the you know, public sphere and did some campaigning, I believe, in California not too long ago. Do you think that was a good thing or a bad thing? I think it's a great thing. I do, um, you know, I understand how from a historical perspective, Mm -hmm. generally, once you've been president, you you know, just don't dwell into things like that a whole lot. You just, you know, you've done your thing, you kind of stay in your lane afterwards. But we need him. Right. (laughs) We need him. Um, Because if, if, if he did nothing else, he was able to um, implore upon people of color to get out and vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's still so many of us who don't value that as a right. And quite frankly, there's still too many of them who don't value our right to vote, so they keep trying to take it. Right. So, you know, I, I'm happy that he's out there uh, talking about the value of people coming out to vote. I, I think we need him saying that. Mm-hmm. And I'm really grateful. I'm grateful that he, um, that Michelle. Obama is doing the same thing as well. She was, the, you know, one of the best first ladies ever, and people love her. Mm-hmm. And they do listen to what they say, and I think that will drive people to the polls. Uh, this is another thing I want us to keep in mind, Kena, is that if you look at the Democratic Party's vote, um, the major, most consistent vote that the Democratic Party has is a woman who looks like you and I. Mm-hmm. There's others, there's no question, but black women are more consistent in voting, not just for president and not the midterm. We're consistently voting on a Democratic line. And so I think that that has to be valued, Mm -hmm. and I think you see some of that in the electoral right now. Right, right. I mean, we are known to come through and save some folks, okay? I mean, Doug Jones, we we had to save it. The other candidate was a mess. So we did, we did what we were supposed to do. And another thing to point out, too, is during 2016's election, 2 million black people stayed home. Like, that's not a little number. Two that's a big mi- number. That's a huge number. Like, 2 million black people decided not to vote. Now, some people blame that on Russia <laughs> and them playing around on social media. And, you know, they were, they definitely thought through and paid attention to our politics and did everything that they can to interfere with it. But I also think that, unfortunately, Hillary Clinton may not have inspired um, some folks to go out and vote. What do you think Democrats should be saying during this midterm election to just inspire us to get back out there? Like, we need all two million of you to, to vote this midterm. Well, you know, to be fair, um, Hillary actually won the election. She did. You're right. Yeah, so... If those two million had it came out, then maybe they wouldn't have been ever skirted around. I don't care what the Russians did to, <laughs> right. to turn it around and and let it, Trump be announced the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe you know Hillary wasn't the right candidate. Although I I did think that she was the right mm-hmm. candidate. 
Um, there are clearly, um, you know, a lot of particularly millennials who couldn't understand the value of a woman being president. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I just think they need to do a little research, mm-hmm. and I'm sure they probably have by now, and they should be shaking in their boots of what's happening right now with the with the current uh, Supreme Court nomination. Definitely. Um, we shouldn't have to be here. Mm-hmm. We, this is a fight we fought 50 years ago. Why are we right. fighting it again now? It's because people don't consistently go and vote and vote, you know, mm-hmm. in their own interests. And sometimes people will go vote and vote against their interests mm-hmm. because of whatever reasons. So, you know, I, I think um, will there be challenges for whoever comes next as the uh, Democratic electoral president? Yes, it will be. It will right. be challenged, but but I do think we'll come up with someone. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that um, I think that we're we're definitely seeing the writing on the wall. I'm excited because I feel like there is an energy and a buzz out there, and you all know the surge 2018 is a movement. If we can send a hundred thousand men and women to war, we can send a hundred thousand men and women to the polls in November. This should be a no-brainer to all of us. We see chaos every day on our TV. So what do you have to lose? Like, what do you have to lose? Like, it's time to just step up and spend that five minutes at their voting booth. So I want to thank you so much for being on this podcast. I was so excited, and I knew she was going to bring so much to the show. Um, You know, to be able to see and experience you know, public servant to be able to grow in, you know, my professional career and be a part of that has been like, like one of the best parts of just growing up in Buffalo. You know, a lot of places don't see, don't get to see legislators like the Assemblywoman um, work and work hard all the time for her community. So I want to thank you for just being an inspiration to young women like me, for um, being an inspiration to all of us, men and women, young people. And, yeah, I'm, I'm so grateful that you said yes to this. Uh, it's like... Well, it's my pleasure. I appreciate you inviting me. And I think, you know, um, just based on the last couple of questions that you asked, I would hope that um, at some point we can stop getting our news from social media. Mm. People can literally tell you anything on social media. By the way, you don't know who they are. They could be using any name. Right. Um, so I, I think we need to go back to doing what they didn't want us to read when we first landed in this country. Mm-hmm. After all, we're, you know, we're the people who made it through the Middle Passage. We're the, survive- we're the descendants right. of the people who made it through. We can do better. We need to go back to reading and not necessarily checking everything on social media right. to see if it's true. Because it's absolutely not true, and we found, found that to be true. Right. I mean, it's I was- been proven that. Right. Right. Um, And I was going to say, like you said, you know, studies have already shown that most of the information we get off social media are coming from fake news websites and troll groups that are just putting out information and, you know, you know, just spewing stories that just have no place. Like Because they want to control your mind. Right. Right. And a credited news story would never post these things. So I actually had an audience. I had a question from I got a question for the podcast. It's my first one. I'm super excited. <laughs> so I'm going to read it. All right. So the podcast question was, one thing I've been annoyed by this midterm season is people stressing the need to register to vote. Um, could you do a podcast or can you answer this question and 
put out there a more well-rounded political strategy for black people um, other than just make sure black people vote. Like, they just feel like that message is getting beat down. And I responded to him. And once I answered his question, he got it. So I'm going to answer that question for him. Um, So what I think folks need to understand and why we are still stressing the need to register more voters is because a few things. One, campaigns are usually structured to talk to voters who consistently vote. So we would consider them ones or twos or threes, right? So one is someone who votes, who has voted in every election for the last two years. I'm going to just throw that out there. As a template, we all, every campaign uses different statistics. Um, And a three would be someone who may have voted once. So a campaign is usually going to spend the majority of their time talking to voters that they know are going to vote. There is some logic there, right? Because you want to make sure that those people go out and vote again. Where the problem we run into when we do that, though, is the policy that that legislator or that politician moves forward usually reflects the needs of those voters and not everyone. So they place value on the electorate or the electorate that actually votes, right? So people who have varying positions aren't really being heard because at the end of the day, they feel beholden to those who voted for them. So one, that's a problem. Of course, that's a problem. So it's important for us to expand the voter pool. The the more of us that go out and vote, the, the more diverse the message and the policy positions these politicians are willing to take on, that that's just going to be a natural reflection of the person going into the office because they're going to know they were supported by diverse diverse ideas. So, one, it's totally important. Again, I'm going to stress this. It's very important for us to keep beating this drum. Two, we can also break down the numbers. I feel that we make up, what, 13% of the population. We probably make up... What twenty to forty percent of us are actually registered to vote, and then when we have an election, turnout is usually usually like eight to fifteen percent. Like you have districts that have eight hundred thousand people living in it, but only fifty to one hundred thousand people may go out to vote. So the the wants, the needs, the dreams of only those people are being considered when these folks are going to, going into whatever public office that they're going into. So, yes, it's important for us to expand the voter base. Yes, it's important for us to beat the drum because all of us aren't registered to vote. We're not. I mean, the state of Florida has thousands of African-American men who cannot vote just because they have had a felony in the past. Like, they have to petition a council in order to get their voting rights back. So, we have, in order for us to really see change, we're going to have to go out there and vote. And it's going to take more than just, I'm a one, I vote all the time, you're a one, right? She votes all the time. But we already know what's up. Like, we already do this. This is our judge. Like, we're in our space. This is what we do. But we need to make sure that there are other people coming to the table because without them, their voices aren't going to be heard. So, again, I want to thank everyone for listening to Citizen the Pod. 
How can the folks get in touch with you or find out more about what you do? Are you on social media? Is there a website? How can they reach out? I do have a website, and I am on social media. But to be honest, I can't tell you what those are. <laughs> I can tell you because they're managed by staff. Okay, good. But I can tell you that um, there is a phone number where you can always reach us at. Okay. And it is 716-897-9714. And let me just guess at my assembly um, email, mm-hmm. which is cpeople, not S, just cpeople, mm-hmm. N-Y, assembly.gov. Okay. Well, look, you can always Google Crystal People Stokes. You could do that. New York State Assembly District 141? 141. 141. And everything should pop up. I mean, we know how to do this. We Google everything else. You can you can Google the assembly member. Like, it's easy. You can find me at the Surge 2018 on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me on Twitter at Citizen the Pod. You can find me on Facebook also at Kina Zontel. So I'm so happy I did this episode with the assembly <laughs> member. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you to all the listeners. We have episodes every week from now until the midterms. You know what you got to do? Register you and your tribe. It's Citizen the Pod.